You're listening to the Digital Void Podcast, where we explore digital culture, media, technology, and memes, featuring critical and empowering conversations with experts at the forefront of our digital moment. My name is Josh Chapdelaine, and my co-host is Dr. Jamie Cohen. Up until this point, the summer box office has been defined by sequels and spin-offs. From Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and Mission Impossible to Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse and Transformers, Hollywood has leaned on established intellectual property. But this week's two big film releases have created an online sensation due to the dramatically different nature of their themes. Barbie and Oppenheimer both open this Friday. But audiences and cast members have leaned into the idea that a double feature is the best way to experience the film. Today, Jamie and I unpack the history and virality of one of summer's most anticipated Hollywood openings, Barbenheimer, and unpack why studios have done such an effective job allowing audiences to be creative and have fun with the releases. Before we begin, we're thrilled to bring you this podcast every week and feel a tremendous amount of gratitude for your support. Please take the time to follow us wherever you get your podcasts, leave us a review on your favorite platform, and share the podcast with a friend. Today's episode contains numerous references to memes and you can find links to those memes in the show notes and resources section. Now, here's today's conversation about Barbenheimer. Jamie, thanks so much for taking the time to talk about summer's biggest movie meme, Barbenheimer. <laughs> yes, I'm glad to talk about this one. This is a fun one. <laughs> so let's unpack a little bit of Barbenheimer's history and why so many people are discussing this trend in the first place. Barbenheimer exists because of a real life falling out between film director Christopher Nolan and Warner Brothers Discovery, whereby Nolan expressed frustration by Warner Brothers Discovery's decision to create a hybrid theatrical streaming release model for its films in 2021 that included his 2021 film Tenet. Nolan, who had a decades-long relationship with Warner Brothers Discovery, decided to release his new film Oppenheimer with Universal Studios. Now, this departure allowed Warner Brothers Discovery to counter-program Nolan's new release with Greta Gerwig's Barbie. So, Jamie, let's take a look at the current trend of Barbenheimer and how this all started. But before we dive into the memes that are circulating, what is your immediate take on this trend? Well, I think this marketing plan in general is the return to a box office in-person movie experience. These are two very highly anticipated films for two completely different reasons. Uh, and they happen to be on the exact same release day. And they have done a great job of classical versions of film marketing, which I think is like kind of neat. Uh, Barbie's trailers have been very unique and different. There was a mock trailer of Barbie doing the 2001 remix, which was kind of a throwback to early 2000s YouTube remixes. And then Oppenheimer, which is just such an anticipated film due to its seriousness, but also its massive 11 mile long IMAX film. And it's a alleged disturbing nature that makes people feel upset. So you're literally looking at the exact opposite of things. You're looking at the bright pink, happy, almost nonsensical toy story. And then you have this extremely realistic horror story that if you are any type of human, seeing it will leave you extremely depressed. So the assumption of seeing both films on the same day has become the meme because 
you can't really get a better box office experience of two distinct ends. That's unique to a post-COVID experience. It's incredibly unique. And the fun of this trend is roughly six or seven months ago, folks became aware that these movies were releasing on the same day. And the trend began by asking, which movie will you see first at the double feature? <laughs> and as innocuous as it sounds, it has spurred a huge line of consumer products and marketing around the double feature of Barbie and Oppenheimer. To the degree that on June 20th, a tweet by Discussing Film asked, one month until Barbie and Oppenheimer release in theaters, which will you watch first? And it generated more than 10,000 retweets and quote tweets almost 65,000 likes and millions of impressions. As interesting as that in itself is and the organic conversation that spurred, I'd love for you to unpack one of the responses that went even more viral than that and maybe walk us through why this is such a discussion <laughs> point. So that the tweet itself is great because discussing film is kind of like a content farm. It's very much a blog that's just designed to put content out consistently about movies, you know, and it's it's neat. It's a very good and basic blog, basically. And this tweet is a very standard question, like a brand question, you know, a nice brand question. It creates interaction engagement. Beautiful. But of course, that's going to cause everybody to think about it because now they're like, well, that's amazing. I think so. And perhaps no meme encapsulate this more than the tweet by Ultragloss. So, Jamie, can you unpack what's happening here with the Ultra Gloss meme? Because this meme, more than any other meme, is driving most of the conversation on social. This is, and back to our threads talk, this is a, a tweet that has been repasted and stolen multiple times. <laughs> so this is a very good tweet. Trish, who's at Ultra Gloss, uh, writes a typical grammatically correct Twitter post that explains the day. People seeing Barbie first are wild. The schedule needs to be black coffee and a cigarette. Oppenheimer, around 11. It's three hours. Mimosas and brunch. Barbie, around 6, 7. Dinner, drinks, club. <laughs> and that, that is beautiful because it gave a prompt for people to plan their day. And people have <laughs> added, of course, little beat pieces to what the day would include, including somebody who added three cigarettes while watching Barbie. <laughs> yeah, so there's, it's, it's just cool to like, think about like you start your day depressed and in the morning. Then you get brunch. And then you see Barbie. So it's, it's a really neat way of interacting with internet culture and the film industry. And this is all free labor. This is all promotion that Barbie or Oppenheimer, neither uh, Gerwig nor uh, Nolan had any play in. The studios didn't either. This is just organic creation. It's organic creation driven by real life tension and marketing. And it's fascinating because the tweet by Trish has generated tens of millions of impressions, tens of thousands of retweets, and it continues to be popular and passed around a week and a half after it originally went viral. And it's really rare to see something like this. So this reminds me of a similar trend and it looks like we might be starting to see this every summer, although it could be coincidence that it's happening in summer. But there's a level of genuine enthusiasm, which it appears exists for both Oppenheimer and Barbie when it comes to mimetic trends on social platforms versus irony posting. And I think one thing that's really interesting is that while both films have genuine enthusiasm for them, I do think that before the Barbie trailer was released, some of it was ironic because 
it was another adaptation of popular IP that seemed like an obvious cash grab, not much different than how studios have strategized and plotted film releases over the last two decades. But last summer, two contrasting meme trends emerged, Gentle Minions and Summer of Morbius. And while Gentle Minions encouraged people to attend the Minions movie in suits, Morbius, and specifically the Summer of Morbius, was making fun of Jared Leto's film. And the latter was especially embarrassing for Sony, which misread the environment, re-released Morbius, it flopped a second time. So what are the key things to look for when trying to determine genuine and ironic enthusiasm for films? I'm going to point out something right away that proves how different this one is. Uh, one is how distinctly broken Twitter is. The reason you could kind of tell this is much more genuine is because Twitter used to be a meme factory. It was previously a place where you could go post something like Trisha's tweet and let people remix that to infinity. Now those remixes exist, but you have to scroll down and hit show replies like 30 times because all the dumb blue checks are there making stupid ass responses. There used to be Twitter used to have substantive commentary underneath it that would basically build off of it. And it was kind of the way that you could create some sort of zeitgeist of irony posting or shit posting or a way of playing with it. So when you talk about gentle minions or Morbius, that's mimetic. Somebody posts first and then the stream of replies are basically building off each other, trying to make fun of the entire thing. Now this tweet basically sits alone or most of the tweets on this subject sit alone. So when you scroll far enough, you actually do find the alternate scheduling, you know, like the other people who are remixing it, which are cute. You know, there's a bunch where instead of Oppenheimer, it's just iced coffee and donut first, Barbie at 11. Lunch with my girls, Barbie at six and seven. Dinner, Barbie at 11. So the difference here is that the, the brokenness of Twitter has allowed this to become more organic across on multi-platforms. And so it's decentralized the jokeness of it. So it hasn't had the chance to develop a very narrow pyramid-esque meme, one that solidifies in one singular meme, gentle minions or the unfortunate Morbius memes, which it also allows the time to pass. I think studios are now aware of the fact that the return to in-person theater going experiences are going to generate some sort of mimetic experience. And I think Sony didn't have the right staff to recognize they were making fun of it. I think that they saw impressions and metrics as success, not as actual physical bodies and seats. That's my, my big take on this is the fact that when you have a broken system, you actually see people moving into different spaces to promote this and garner IRL excitement for it. From what I've heard, people, including myself, are pretty interesting, interested in seeing how the attendance will be affected by this mimetic experience because it isn't like going and finding your dad's suit, putting it on and hanging out with 11 friends in a lobby to go see Minions. I could genuinely see people having an experience. And it does to throw back to our old experiences 100 years ago when theaters started getting talkies and sound. This was the experience. It was, it was a movie theater experience. People would go as a social group. They would go see multiple films in a day. That's how people got their news. It was during the newsreels. And it really harkened back to what would be the golden age. These films are big. These aren't cheap films. These are these are big budget and Oppenheimer is one of the biggest. And this experience is authentic because people are excited for them. There's a lot of hype and anticipation for them. And so far, the people who have seen the film already at the festivals and so forth have given both of them extremely good reviews. And so we're not looking at Morbius, which is like a, a misunderstanding, like, you know, like, oh, it might be a cult classic. No. And Minions, which comes with a built-in audience, it's this is actually films that might actually be worth spending an entire day watching. I'm excited to see the outcome of next weekend. <laughs> I am too. And I will be attending at least one of the two films. I'll be seeing Oppenheimer on Sunday and hopefully Barbie the same day as well. But the interesting thing is, and as 
unpredictable as tracking can be, Barbie's original projection was somewhere in the 50 to $60 million range for opening weekend. Over the last month, the estimate, and of course, tough to tell this far out, but has increased to about $90 million with some projections indicating that the film could exceed as much as 100 million. So the early reviews are helping, the marketing is helping, the mimetic nature of this is helping, and we're seeing a direct relationship between the investment in marketing, the organic enthusiasm, and the potential return for these films. Uh, That marketing campaign has included, by the way, a Barbie Malibu dream house that is available on Airbnb. And it is spectacular. We'll link to it in the show notes. But I think that there's something also important to underscore in this conversation. Why does this marketing not necessarily influence the mimetic energy? I think there's this thread that is already beginning that this marketing strategy that has been employed by Barbie needs to be the new way to market films always. So why is that not necessarily indicative of a cause and effect? Yeah, that's a great question. This is just the history of like internet-based branding so forth, because you can't anticipate or build structures based on audience engagement like this. This happens to be an anomaly, but it happens to be something that is really created by the marketing teams that have built the physical structures. And and off that note of the Malibu dream house, the very pink house uh, in Malibu, um, my favorite meme so far about this entire Barbenheimer experience has been uh, a tweet that says Oppenheimer's team has an opportunity to do the funniest thing ever in history right now. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that meme, the idea of the X has the opportunity to do the funniest thing ever meme, because that's funny about it just because we could anticipate the uh, humor like that. And I I can't imagine them nuking it. But I have saw just this morning, I saw a a meme with uh, Barbie getting nuked. You know, it's like this is it's just such a distinctly different thing. I don't think studios should lean into memes in any way. Uh, I think this is an organic benefit that has to be done by the audience and ground up marketing like this is it's it really goes back to the pre-political days of of online media and online memeing it's like a more genuine public-based meme creation i think today we take memes fairly seriously and the more hyper niche we get to it we understand that it's like condensed language or reductionist language and it's really in in the the lamore schiffman sense it takes a large message and makes it small and in this it isn't even about making it small it's about promotion it's about bringing it back bring it to the forefront and reminding people i like loops and this really does feel like a remix of the early 2010s when they would mash up two completely different genres to make one specific entertaining output. I think we've always been fascinated by that. And I feel like we lost it when we took things too seriously. So now that we're in this very weird interregnum that where everybody believes everything's going to be okay for a little bit, uh, uh, that allows people to be a little less stressed about this and be more creative about their creative processes in this promotion. But the theaters and the studios should not be making the memes or even relying on them. You should acknowledge them. Or I was talking about uh, the Grimace thing in my newsletter that McDonald's did a very good thing with the Grimace meme. The meme was pretty violent. It was you would drink the, the Grimace shake and either violently throw up and die or or become a zombie. And McDonald's could have been like, oh, this is a great meme. Let's let's build our own. And that's the incorrect answer. What they did was acknowledge it exists 
and stepped away. The studios here have done a very nice job of in, in allowing the audience to play with it without without stepping on it. And I love that you're pointing out that studios are allowing audiences to play with it and not step on it. I think we've seen a greater understanding of memetic culture this year in particular. We saw Blumhouse released Megan earlier this year. And I think Megan was a really good example of allowing audiences to have fun with intellectual property. I think Scream was another good example. This is really popular in the horror genre right now. And it's actually, at least for this year, new in the, what would you call Barbie? A, a drama? Like what? It's probably a comedy. Yeah, it's a mixed media experience. It would probably be more similar to a Baz Luhrmann type of experience. Somewhere in between a bunch of genres. Exactly, exactly. So it's really interesting to see studios learn to hold their IP almost like a bird. You grip it too tightly and it dies. You don't grip it at all and it flies away. It's been a really interesting approach. Now, in terms of mobilization, you touched on how you think it will be really interesting to see how people show up or if they show up. And according to data that we have while we record this episode, AMC Stubbs released data that indicates 20,000 members have purchased tickets to the double feature so far. And in addition, we've seen some buy-in from the movie's stars, including Margot Robbie, who signed a fan's Barbenheimer shirt. And we'll link to this in the show notes as well, but it's a very cute video. And Margot Robbie signs the Barbie side and wishes the fan has Cillian Murphy sign the Oppenheimer side. And then Cillian Murphy, after a lot of speculation that he would not get in on this trend, ends up endorsing Barbenheimer in an interview with the Spanish outlet La Vanguardia. And Entertainment Tonight is asking, what should fans wear to the Barbenheimer double feature? This is just good fun. Yeah, this is this is really fun with this. And, and Nolan pushes his actors a lot. He, he doesn't require method acting, but he really requires them to embody the character well. And Cillian Murphy lost a fair amount of weight and really structured his pacing with his, his speech in this to be as best an Oppenheimer, the scare, one of the scariest humans to ever exist in a very realistic way. And Barbie, a toy being brought to life in a realistic way, we brings up Margot Robbie, along with Ryan Gosling. They have they have a vast category of action films to serious dramas. So now they this is neat to see them play with this outside of the space. And I think obviously Margot Robbie is much seems more playful just from the experience of the, the color. And I think the hype of being in those pink spaces is fun. But I saw a picture of Somebody made a joke about how Cillian Murphy brought his Cillian to to the experience. Like he's a very happy guy from allegedly from people say he's a very fun person to work with. He can be very serious on screen, but he's very cool in real life. And this doesn't hurt. This isn't something that can damage their brands in any way. Just playing into it doesn't hurt the idea of Oppenheimer being a serious film. I don't think any Barbenheimer merch or memeing is going to make somebody go to the theater and be like, oh, I didn't know it was going to be this serious. You know, <laughs> this is I think what it does is helps people really get a contrast of it, like knowing that these two films are completely different. And so I don't think it hurts. And I don't know what Nolan's thoughts are on it in any way, but I think all tickets are good tickets. I imagine both doing very well. I think they're two distinct audiences. Nolan fans are very passionate. They really love seeing things on the IMAX screen. They like seeing the images. And Nolan used a lot of practical effects. He doesn't like CG. That's huge. But obviously Barbie is going to be a spectacle. It's going to be almost like, almost like watching a dream. And so these are two different like spaces but I, I think the I'll tell you the only thing that I would see as a hold it back for people is that Oppenheimer's long you know I think that's the thing that would hold some people back is that long films often are a turn off to some people because it is a day to plan around it but that's the only thing I see as a setback I 
totally agree. And with that, Jamie, I have to ask in closing, what is the correct order to see these films? Uh, I would start personally, I would start with Oppenheimer. I mean, just knowing the subject matter and like studying the Trevor and knowing that that's the beginning of the Anthropocene, like seeing that is going to be so intensely depressing. So I would personally, I think I would go by Trish's would be the most similar to mine. Yeah, I would do it in the morning. Uh, I probably wouldn't have mimosas and brunch after I probably have something a bit harder. Um, <laughs> and then I would go see Barbie and then dinner afterward. Yeah, this I, I would agree with Trisha's uh, schedule. Uh, I don't smoke cigarettes, but I understand that completely. It would probably be better after. Uh, <laughs> just So I, I would be on that same schedule. How about you? I, I have to agree. It's It has to be Oppenheimer than Barbie. You, you can't end the night on a note like Oppenheimer. No, I don't even know how people... I think you need Barbie to lighten that because it's... It's pretty depressing, man. But I, I'm excited <laughs> to see both myself as well. I'm not going to be able to make it the first weekend, but I will be seeing both. Yes, and I will too. Uh, Jamie, this was a delight. Thank you for a very fun conversation. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the Digital Void podcast. For more information, including references and show notes, make sure to check the website or the show description.